Welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, the fishing show where size matters. My name is Ken Duke. My co-host, Terry Battisti, is on the other side of the planet in Australia, but he'll be back next time. Our producer and engineer is the great Nathan Benson. You know, no show about Big Bass would be complete without stories of the ones that got away. After all, it's the ones that got away that helped to make the ones we actually catch so very special. In this episode of the Big Bass Podcast, we're going to hear stories about the ones that got away from some of the biggest names in the sport. It'll be what I think is a healthy reminder that even the best of us sometimes fall short. And some of these stories serve to point out that the word big is relative. A big fish doesn't have to weigh 10 pounds. It just has to be important. Our first guest is none other than Shaw Grigsby. You know, if you follow professional bass fishing, you certainly know the name Shaw Grigsby. He's a 16-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier, a nine-time BASS winner, nine times finished in the top 10 of the Angler of the Year race. He spent more than two decades uh, producing great fishing television with his show, One More Cast. Shaw Grigsby, welcome to the Big Bass Podcast. Thanks for joining us, sir. Well, Ken, thanks for having me on here. Uh, it's a big deal to me having you on here, man. You've always been uh, one of my favorite people in the sport. Uh, you're just a joy to be around. I've had the great privilege of being in your boat and getting to fish with you. And I've also had a chance to listen to you tell some great stories. You're one of the best storytellers in, in the game. But sometimes the stories you tell me uh, make me want to cry instead of make me want to laugh. And uh, I, I think don't mean to do that. <laughs> You can't help it, man. You're a good storyteller, and sometimes that means up, and sometimes that means down. And and I'm I'm gonna unfortunately ask you to tell uh, a downer story on, on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. And you know, one thing we say on the Big Bass Podcast is big, big is a relative term. Sometimes it might mean a giant ten pound plus largemouth. Sometimes it might mean a much smaller fish that means a lot in a certain context. And that's where we're coming to you here, because in 1995, you were closing in on an Angler of the Year title with, with BASS, uh, and you were fishing the Mississippi River. And, uh, and you didn't have to have a great tournament to take AOI home, but, but something happened. And, uh, and it, it's just devastating to hear, but uh, it's also... Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, fascinating, uh, somehow rewarding. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to your sharing that with us. Well, um, you know, I went into that fight. It was the final term of the year on the Mississippi River, uh, like Quad City area. And um, we, uh, I'm, it's a 100-point system. It was the top 100, 100-point system. And I was ahead by 25 points pretty much a slam dunk. Well, I, I, uh, I had two areas that were working and it was really a tough tournament. And, and so, uh, I fished one the first day and it didn't happen. And I, I think I may have zeroed day one and, uh, coming back though, the next day I caught them pretty good. And, um, to make a long story short, I'm chipping away on them. And it's uh, the final day I've caught enough. I, I know I need just one more fish and, and I'm flipping these cypress trees and I'm pitching them 
And I'd gone down to 17. I thought the water is not real clear, but I thought it helped me get bites. So I moved down to 17 pound line, you know, little Texas weight. And, uh, and uh, I believe I was throwing a, um, you know, like a craw or something. And um, so I'm pitching it to the trees. And, uh, you know, I've caught an, an, a number of fish and I said, this is it. You know, just if I can get one more, it's, it's a done deal. And I, uh, pitched over to a tree. There was a lay down. So a, a log laying horizontally on the surface and a cypress tree right behind it. And I wanted to hit, you know, as close to the cypress tree, didn't want to go over the log. Well, I hit the log and instead of it going and falling, it flipped over the top of it. And I'm like, doggone it. And about that time one pumps it, you know, and, and I set the hook and it was one of these fish that was just, I mean, I just call him mean, you know, and I don't know if the hook hit him in a wrong spot, but it lit him up and he didn't do like normal fish. He, he went full on tarpon mode. He came straight at me. So my line's going out around the log and coming straight back to me. And he is tail walking straight to the boat. Just, I mean, like never got in the water, just, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And it's about a three and a half pounder. And um, a really solid fish for for that solid, part of the river. Solid fish, yeah. And uh, so I'm just getting ready to try to like punch my free spool and and go. Well, let's go around the log and get this thing off and get him. And, and he breaks me off, and I'm like, I'm like, dadgummit. Okay, I, you know, I got 20 more minutes, and I go fishing, and that was the last bite. And uh, I go into weigh in, and I needed a one pound six ouncer to make angler of the year. And you know, that one had it by a lot. Yeah. And so it was one of those really disappointing things. And, uh, you know, it's angler of the year is lifetime achievement. You know, it's like yes. angler of the year and the classic. Those are the two things that you want to do. Those are your goals. When you start fishing, you, you want to get angler of the year, you want to get the classic. And, uh, so to, to have that one, basically in my grasp and just have a, a, a small, and when I go small, <laughs> that's, it's, I mean, I, I barely clipped that log to where it flipped over the top. You know, if I had him on this side, no problem, you know, set the hook, drag him around, take my time, get him in, everything's good, or just reel him up and boat flip him. But, um, it was, uh, that was highly disappointing. <laughs> I mean, it, it broke my spirit inside. That's what, that's what hurt me the most is that it took me a while to get over it. And, uh, so that was 95 and it probably was three or four years of off and on fishing before it cleared my mind about, you know, let's keep going, you know, keep trying. You, you told me one time about that incident. You said, like you said, it, it, it broke something inside you. You said you felt like at that moment, you felt like you knew you were never going to win angler of the year. You were never going to accomplish some of the goals you had for yourself. But, and I don't, I, I, it's unfathomable to me that somebody as talented and as, as ordinarily positive as, as you are would have thoughts like that because you had a fabulous career after 95. You won a number of tournaments. You had some really solid classics. I think it was back to back in 2000, you know, and, and almost won the third one on Lake Murray where, you know, we're the Bass Pro Tours fishing right now, you know, uh, 
it was a spawn tournament just like right now. And I almost won that one. I got in the top 10 and, you know, we fished the finals and, uh, but yeah, I, um, I righted the ship, but that still broke something, you know, it, it just, um, that one, that one hurts. That was the bad one. Uh, you had close calls in the classic too. I mean, I, I wrote a story one time and, and I don't, I don't mean this to, to make you feel bad, but it almost, it almost sounds bad at this point. I wrote a story one time on who is the, the greatest competitive angler of all time who has never won, you know, a, a red crest, a classic, a, a wood cup or an angler of the year title. And I said, well, hands down. And I, I ran the numbers. I looked at everybody hands down. It's you. Oh, I would have put Roland, you know, but he well, won. Roland won nine anglers of the year. Yeah, he so, never won the classic, and that. So right. I see what you're saying for all of them. Yeah, I got. Yeah, you. I I, got you. you've had a storied career. You are legendary. You are an icon. Shoot, man, your mustache alone is an icon There's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your mustache by itself is a legend in the game. There you but, go. But you are you are just one of the one of the absolute icons of our sport and uh and it hurts me it pains me because you're also a friend of mine and it pains me to think that that, that one fish puts you in that frame of mind uh, you said it, it really bugged you for several years and obviously it still it still it's uh, it still does but you know you get over it. things and it's like anything it's it uh it motivates you and get going but i i, I still think it uh that was probably you know, looking on my career, probably the, the most painful moment of my career. You know, I've lost fish before that cost me the tournament. I've, you know, and I finished second and stuff like that. I think I got almost as many seconds as I do, you know, first in my career. And, um, in fact, I think I may have more seconds than I do, but those, all those seconds, they're just seconds. They're a good tournament. That one, you know, that was, uh, you know, I think the, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's the about the two biggest things you can do is Angler of the Year and the Classic. That's that's it, you know. Red Crest now, but Angler of the sure. Year Classic is the two biggest things you can do. Well, you know, I, I think I think it's true that and I've heard it said by by other anglers that uh, the classic may do more for a guy's career, but AOI is the title that has the the inner prestige among the anglers themselves. Which would you have rather had? You came you came wildly close to both which would you have preferred if you could have only gotten one oh. <laughs> probably the classic <laughs> you know i mean it's it's a one tournament deal uh anybody can win it you know it's three days of the of competition and it's an it's just another three-day tournament and um i mean when you look at it in all seriousness it's, it's another three-day tournament now you have to have things fall in place on those three days to win it um, but it's another three day tournament. So, you know, I'd, uh, I, I would have loved to win angle of the year, but if I got to choose, which nobody gets to, you work your butt off to do either one. And, um, and if I got to choose, I'd say, yeah, it'd be the, be the classic, but you know, David got me in that one pretty good. And, and I was inches from the fish that he caught to win the classic that year. I actually fished up to the point. He had one stump out there. And he came by me and I saw him come by me. I said, like, he wants to come in here. 
and I fished up to the point, but I didn't really know about that outside stuff. I'm staying shallow pretty much and fishing some ledges and stuff. But, um, anyway, and he, as soon as I left, he came back in there and caught like a six pounder and beat me. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, if I'd known about it, that'd been a different deal, but I really did. So. And folks, when, when Shaw mentions David, he's talking about David Fritz. It was the, the 93 classic that uh, David Fritz won and Shaw finished second. Uh, man, I, I I do not think about your career certainly as a, 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 a multiple close calls. I think of your career as just absolutely stellar. Uh, I, I was privileged to, to be there and, and to cover some of your wins uh including one on the harris chain about a dozen yep. years ago and uh i remember even i remember doing something that i should not have done as a bass employee at that point you were in line to weigh shaw and i'm sure you don't remember this but uh i remember it <laughs> uh, well you remember winning but i'm sure you doubt what i don't remember what i was saying uh, no Goldbeck, i remember i remember was, you Grant Goldbeck was making a run at you despite have right. had, having had a really terrible day one. And he was, he was making a serious run at you. And, right. and I think you were, you were sitting in your boat in line. It was the drive through weigh in kind of deal. And I, I, I just walked up to you cause I, I, I care about you so deeply. And I don't know why I was trying to take any, any potential uh, pain away. I said, Shaw, you got him. Don't worry. <laughs> I remember that you said, and I wouldn't believe you. I said, Ken, I appreciate that, but, but it won't happen until those scales read that weight. I'm not accepting nothing because you just I, I don't know, you know, and then he weighed in and I went, and that, that's what I did. So, yeah, that, that was a great victory. And, uh, but anyway, that was, uh, I, I don't know if I was taking any pressure off you. Obviously not. You were going to wait no. until those fish hit the scales. That was, you're a smart, was, smart man. You're much smarter than me. You're not going to take anybody's word for it. Uh, but uh, you're yeah, a genius. But, There's no way I'm as smart as you. No, you're 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 far smarter than me. Far better, far better angler. Far greater talent. Far, just like I said, you're you're a hero of mine, man. And uh, and, and I didn't want to see you sweating out the last couple of minutes. <laughs> it's a it's a have to moment, you know, when you're it when is. you win, and those things are real special, you know, winning the tournament. And I don't care, you know where it is, when it is, whether it's a club tournament or whatever, when you win one, it's special. And, um, and so, you know, it's just, you have to sweat it out till you get there. Unless, you know, I did have one on Orange Lake, which was really kind of one of these strange deals. And I believe it was back in 84. And, uh, I fished this tournament. I got paired with Harvey Bozeman and he's just a great, great man and a great flipper and one of the best fishermen on Orange Lake. And I think we might, it might've been like a club challenge or something like that. I don't know. But, um, anyway, I, I had three fish. I had four fish in the live. Well, uh, one of them was little 12 inch tail turner. I mean, a dink, you know, maybe a pound something, but the other three weighed about 31 pounds. Oh my and, gosh. And so I was sitting on the bank and we were waiting to weigh in, you know, and, and I'd look at this stack sack being drug up there by somebody and I go, dadgum, it's going to take two of my fish to beat him. <laughs> and then another one go by and I go, well, I've got him beat with one. <laughs> and another one go by and say, ooh, that's pretty good. Dude, it's going to take all three of my fish, you know. And anyway, I weighed in four that went like almost 32 pounds. It was pretty fun. <laughs> that, that, now, when the pressure is off like that, is that more enjoyable? Or when you look back, do you 
do you maybe in retrospect enjoy the tight ones because it's a little more dramatic? No, nah, I think it's more it's more enjoyable when you just know you want them. <laughs> I mean, that's all. You know, that's got to yeah, – and there's been those times, you know, when I – you know, at Rayburn, you know, where I get out there and I catch the fish and I say, well, I got this one. And um, I told my partner, I think I was fishing with uh, Homer Humphreys, and I said, man, let's get out here. If I can catch one on a, on a Bagley crankbait, I get a $1,000 bonus. You know, I mean, it's one of those deals. So I catch one, and then I can say I caught them on Bagley crankbait. You know, we – we all do things like that, you know, and, and, uh, so yeah, it was, you know, that was back in the old days and, and, uh, that's when you know, you got it, you know, those are good, good times when you know, you got it. And, and, um, you know, same type of thing. I think I did one at Seminole where I caught a big fish right at the end of the day. And I'm like, yeah, and I threw him in the boat and I just took off through the stumps, bouncing over everything and make the run, knowing that when I get there, you know, you, you've got it won. And that's, those are probably the most special wins. Uh, for, for the folks watching who don't have the great privilege of knowing Shaw Grigsby, and I count myself as very privileged in that regard, uh, know that he is the guy you see on TV. Notice, know that he is the guy who's always smiling and always up and who has that high pitched squeal when, when a big fish hits and he fights it. That is, that is who he is. And, uh, Shaw with, with regard to the ones that got away, um, the fish that you still think about years and years later, did they make the successes sweeter or do the successes make the ones that got away even more bitter? No, I think, you know, I look back Ken and, you know, it was a few years back, I got inducted to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, and that's that's huge. That's the that's the biggest thing that can happen to you in your career. You know, uh, by far, whether you win Angler Year, the Classic, or whatever, you know, you've you've got you know when my grandkids go to Bass Pro Shops twenty years from now, here's a picture of their grandfather. Or when my great grandkids, you know, that's uh, you know here's this this bronze plaque. It's so that's, you know, that's forever. That's like, it's not a statistic. It's just a forever deal. And that's, that's probably the most special. So, you know, I look back on a great career. I mean, great career. And I hope I've inspired a lot of people to go out and go fishing and enjoy fishing. You know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy fishing. I love it. I do it all. I do it for spare time. I do it when I'm just, you know, come home and have fun. I go fishing. And so, um, I hope I've inspired people to do that and go fishing and take that to whatever level they can take it to. I mean, if they, if they want to tournament fish and be professional, absolutely get serious in it. It's a great time in the sport when we've got junior anglers and high school anglers, and we've got, you know, college scholarships and I'd have probably graduated college if I had a college scholarship for fishing, you know, and, um, <laughs> So, and, and then you've got, you know, the professional ranks that is just expanding and done very well. So yeah, I, I, uh, I hope I've inspired people to get involved and enjoy the sport of fishing. Cause I think it truly is the single best sport out there. And, and, and you see that when you see people that play, you know, in the NFL for X number of years, and next thing they do, they're going to, they go fishing, you know, Hey, I want to same thing with baseball players and, and motocross racers and whatever, you know, when your body can't take what that short lifespan is, 
they can keep going and fishing and it still is competitive and it's hard and it's tough. And you have to figure out all these different variables every day you hit the water. And it's just, it's a cool sport and you can do it like Klon won at what, uh, 72? 70. 70. Yeah, he, he won it at, at, yeah, early 70s. He won one in the late 60s, then he won another in his early 70s on the St. John's, as you know. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So that's cool that you can see that. And, and, um, so what a great sport, you know, what a great sport. Do it when you're two, three, four years old. I took, took my granddaughter last year and we're out and I bought her this cool little spinning reel that you turn the handle and it's got flashing lights on it. I mean, it's really cool. Right. And so we're sitting there fishing in this pit and, and, uh, she's just there. And all of a sudden she just takes the rod and reel and just goes, and there it goes. It sunk in 20 feet of water, never to be seen again, but she still loves it. You know, she still enjoyed it. Yeah. She threw the rod and reel over, but guess what? <laughs> we, we have to get another one. So, uh, but you know, it's, it's just a fun sport. Get outside, enjoy the outdoors, see cool stuff, you know, eagles and ospreys and otters and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, alligators and cool deal. Yeah, I think that stuff is more important than ever now. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, uh, and to your comment about hoping you inspired people to enjoy the sport and get outdoors, there is no question, sir. You have inspired millions of people to do so. And uh, you are and, and will always be one of the most popular guys out there, one of the most inspiring guys out there. And, hey, Shaw, I, I appreciate you as a friend, and I thank you so much for joining us on the Big Bass Podcast. Well, Ken, thank you for having me and uh, certainly appreciate your friendship and and uh, tell Terry you missed out. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I want everybody to do is, uh, you know, just as a joke, folks, you can jump on the YouTube comments and tell tell Terry that that he was not even a part of, of the best episode of the Big Bass podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm mean like that, Shaw. I'm mean. That's OK. That's OK. Well, Shaw, again, thank you so much, man. I think folks are going to absolutely love seeing you on the Big Bass Podcast. Really appreciate your time and your friendship. You take care, my friend. Good luck uh, down the trail of the Toyota Series, and I look forward to seeing you very soon. All right. Take care, Cam. You know, I, I love that story from Shaw. It's heartbreaking, you know, to hear the impact and to watch the man tell the story of a fish that, that changed his life and career. Not a giant fish in the sense of, of what it weighed, but an enormous fish in what in terms of what it could have done for his career. And, and I love how, how open and honest Shaw is about that. It's a, it's a great story, even though it is not a, uh, uh, an uplifting or a fun story to hear. Uh, a guy who does have a, a lot of fun stories to hear lately is our next very special guest. And, and his name is Jeff Gustafson. If you're not familiar with just Jeff Gustafson, better known to the bass world as Gussie, you must have been living under a laydown. Uh, the Canadian pro just won the 2023 Bassmaster Classic and is building his own legend on the tournament trail. Gussie's niceness is legendary. Uh, just to meet him is to absolutely love this guy. But whatever tales you may have heard about how nice and thoughtful and polite and engaging he is, he's actually far nicer and far more likable than that, which is terrifically hard to believe, uh, but true. And 
despite the fact that, that Gussie won the Classic less than two weeks before we recorded this episode, he still found the time to record the story we're going to share with you right now. All right, nobody wants to talk about lost fish, but it happens. And those are often the most memorable fish catches for tournament anglers, like more so than the fish that end up in your boat a lot of the time. And, you know, growing up fishing a lot of tournaments as a kid around home where I live, um, I lost several fish that, you know, costed me winning the tournament, team tournaments, costed my partners and I winning tournaments. And uh, some of those are, tw you know, over 20 years ago. And I still remember that jump when the smallmouth spit my bait perfectly. But, um, you know, in, in some of the pro tournaments, I've been fortunate. Um, I've never lost a fish that actually costed me winning the tournament. I've lost several that costed me getting a check. Um, and certainly making some cuts and that sort of thing. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me, Lake Fork 2021, uh, had a decent tournament and there was, you know, I was sort of fishing offshore a little bit. There was some fish starting to get offshore, but there was a lot of fish still on beds. And every day I, you know, I had one, a couple stretches where I do a little bit of bed fishing and, um, one of these stretches that I'd fished, this was on day three of the tournament and, uh, one of the stretches I'd caught a couple fish the first two days off of, and I was sneaking my way along there and I, and I got to one that looked like about a four pounder. So I started working on it. And, uh, this is at about 10 or 11 and, you know, between before lunch, 10, 11 in the morning. And I look up, you know, almost a three quarters of a cast sort of down the bank and up against the reeds. I'm like, that's a weird looking dark spot where, you know, over a white spot and uh it it didn't like dawn on me at first that it could be a bass like it almost looked too big and I'm working on this fish and um you know didn't didn't actually it didn't register with me because I was so focused on this fish that I'd been fishing for and a couple minutes later I look up again and look down and the black thing's gone and then here it comes it comes over the light spot again and locks down and I'm like wow Poles come up, I start sliding down, and uh, I'm trying to stay a ways out. You know, if I can get a good cast in at this thing before she knows that I'm there, maybe I'm going to catch it. And uh, I flip in there a couple times, and I get a bite. I set the hook, and it's like a two-pound male. So I let it go, goes back, and I mess around with this big female. It's the biggest fish I've ever seen on a bed, probably the biggest bass I've ever looked at, like, you know, and an eight to 12 pounder. I mean, I giant bass. And so I'm all excited and I mess around and mess around. And finally she's, you know, leaving and not really staying on the bed. So I, I give up after a while, like, you know, not catchable. So about two, three hours later, I'm, you know, maybe last hour of the day, I've had a decent day, but not awesome. Um, I got to go back and try this big fish again. So I, I roll in there. I actually, I think I actually caught the four pounder as I was sneaking in that I'd been working on earlier. And then, uh, you know, get up close and there she is again. And I start pitching and pitching, I'm staying back as far as I can. And she's not having anything to do with my bait and finally leaves. And I, I'm about to give up and I 
you know, hit the button for my talons and they come up and I just, I don't touch the trolling motor, but I just start drifting in a little bit closer and, and then I see her just really tucked up against the reeds right, you know, right over top of the bed and I put the poles down, uh, make a few, I gotta make a few more casts. Like this is the biggest bass I might ever catch in my life. And, uh, I start flipping in there, flipping in there and finally I, I, you know, she, she started to get mad and I, I like, I think she's going to bite when they do like the spinnerama, you know, they spin around on your bait and they're getting agitated. Like that's usually a good sign. And, uh, yeah, I was just using a little Z-Man craw. I like using those baits when bed fishing. Cause the, you know, they stand up a little bit, the, the Elaztec's buoyant and, uh, yeah, I flipped in there expecting, you know, I'm going to get a bite. I'm going to get a bite. I flip in there and I mean, just noses down on it, eats it like the dream scenario. And I was actually on my knees, um, you know, probably only about 12 or 15 feet away. And she eats it. I set the hook. The fish comes up like the biggest mouth I've ever seen on a bass. It does a couple, you know, wallows and my bait comes flying out. So ate it. And I set the hook hard and just bit of bad luck, never penetrated. And that was the end of that. Um, never, never got the bass. I actually have a video of it, but there was profound profanity when the fish came off. So I can't share that video with anybody, but, uh, but yeah, it was a big bass, you know, Lake Forks, land of the giants. And it was sort of my one that got away. So that's just a, a little a little snippet of what it's like to, to visit with Jeff Gustafson and, and to hear that story about that Lake Fork Giant is, is quite interesting, I think. So if you're not already a Gusty fan, I'll give you about three seconds to get on the bandwagon. Uh, another angler who was able to send us a video for this episode about the ones that got away is uh, Skeet Reese. Skeet is absolutely one of the all-time greats of our sport. He was the 2007 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, and he won the Bassmaster Classic in 2009. Uh, Skeet is not only one of the very best to ever compete on the tournament trail, he's also one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet. He's a, a terrific business person, a wonderful family man, and, and one of the most admirable people in our sport. And, and here's Skeet's story about a fish that got away. And it comes from a long time ago when Skeet was just a, a young angler. And I, I think you'll like the moral of the story as Skeet puts it. So hang in there to the end. All right, so this is the big one that got away. How do we, uh, I think we all have some fish story of our career lives or whatever, um, that just something always stands out. And I've got a few big ones that I've lost over the years, but there's one for sure that just stands out the most for me. And it goes back to, uh, I was in high school and there's a little lake called Spring Lake in Northern California. And I had actually cut school that day just cause that's what, that's what we did. <laughs> so I cut school and so I head to Spring Lake and I'm just fishing from shore. So I got a spinning rod, uh, eight pound test, a uh, little four inch weightless worm, June bug, chartreuse tail. I was like 16, I think I was 16 years old at the point at that time. And 
Um, so I go up to the lake and I, I had caught 10 pounders out of Spring Lake and big ones before. And so I knew it was in there, but springtime. And so fish were starting to move up on the banks and you could walk around, you could sight fish them and you catch some good ones here and there. And I'd walked around, I caught some fish. And I remember coming up, there was this big willow tree that overhung over the water, but you could walk underneath it. And those fish were always underneath the shade and you had maybe six, eight foot of clearance between the shoreline and where the tree limbs actually hit the water out there. So you could always go in there and the sun would kind of come through the outside of it and you could kind of, you just did kind of like just make all the fish really stand out and you could see them underneath the tree. So I snuck up underneath this tree and I remember there's whatever, six or eight fish, you know, just sitting underneath this tree and they're like two to four pounders. And so I, you know, stealth and I pitched my little worm up there. And I remember I've seen these fish just kind of like come into it and all of a sudden they just got out of the way. And here comes this beast of a fish that is just unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it comes up and goes, grabs my little worm. And I go, dink. And that's all I could do at that point in time. This fish it goes, it goes, just goes out to this main lake. And all I could do is watch as this line is stripping off my spinning reel and getting lower and lower and lower. And I, oh, this is not good. And finally, I mean, I had tried to tighten the drag a little bit, but it was like eight pound test. It's like, oh, and you're hoping the fish is gonna like tire and turn. It didn't stop. Dink! To this day. So I still, to this day, guesstimate that fish in the 14 to 17 pound class. There was a lot of 12s, 13s, 14s. There was an 18 caught out of there. So a 14 to 17 pound bass does not come every day for a lot of guys you know there's a lot of and that's what it still kills me this day because all my buddies out west that especially the southern california guys have fished all the trout lakes the years past oh they all got 15s 16s 18s 19s I'm like whatever so i've caught 26 over 10 but i can't break 12 pounds but this is that one that i'll never ever ever forget that that is the big one that got away from me that still I think I have nightmares about that one fish to this day, but I guess moral stories don't cut school. You won't lose a big one. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed my little story. Don't you just love the moral of that story? Don't skip school. That's great. Uh, it's a star studded episode folks. Um, you know, already we've had uh, Shaw Grigsby and Jeff Gustafson and, and Skeet Reese uh, and believe it or not, we've got a guy who's even a bigger name in our sport, even a guy who's even more famous. There is no bigger name in, in all of fishing, much less bass fishing, than our next special guest, and that's Bill Dance. Bill is bass fishing's first superstar. He won seven of the first 14 BASS tournaments, and he caught the first bass in BASS competition uh, on Beaver Lake in Arkansas. Technically, it wasn't BASS at that point, but it was the first modern tournament that Ray Scott put on. And uh, Bill won the Angler of the Year three times with BASS. He was 
he's been the host of, of Bill Dance Outdoors for more than 50 years now. Uh, he's the author of a bunch of books on bass fishing, uh, including this one, his most recent publication, Fish Tales, which is available at BillDanceStore.com, and for which I was enormously honored uh, because I got to write the foreword for that book. Uh, so our next guest, the most famous angler on the planet, is Bill Dance. Here we go. Bill, welcome to the Big Bass Podcast. We sure appreciate your being on the show with us. Well, it's glad to be here, Ken. I always enjoy being with you and everything we've ever done over the years. It's a well, real thank pleasure. you. That, that's awfully kind of you. Now, when we talk about Big Bass and the Big Bass Podcast, we're not just talking about giant fish, and you've certainly caught more than your share of those. Sometimes a, a big bass is, is an important bass maybe in a tournament. Uh, maybe it's not a 10 pounder, but it's just important for some reason or another. I want to fast forward to, uh, this event right here is an old Stein. That's 50 years old. Golly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it ties into a lot of what you're telling us about, uh, Glenn Andrews teaching you deep water fishing and stuff like that, because you know, in 73, you put, you put the Carolina rig on the map and, and you've got an amazing story about a fish that got away. Well, you know, it was what Glenn had taught me uh, about deep water fishing. And uh, when we went to the Classic in 73, you know, we could only take 10 pounds of tackle. Right. And for, and, for folks who, who don't recall, because not not a lot of people were there, this was a Classic uh, out of McCormick, South Carolina on Clarks Hill Reservoir. Now, some folks call it J. Strom Thurman Reservoir if you live in South Carolina. It was Clark Hill. And... Um, you know, to pack 10 pounds of tackle, you think, oh, that's not much. But 10 pounds of tackle is a lot of tackle. Uh, you, when you really, today, when I look back at it, it's a lot of tackle. But um, for some reason, uh, I was scrambling, putting stuff in and out of my tackle box. And uh, I said, you know, fishing that deep water, one of my search baits back then was a sonar, a head and sonar, half ounce sonar. Was I could throw it and go to the bottom quick, and I could pick it up, boom, 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 and cover a lot of water with it because it er, yeah, early lipless crankbait. Yeah, it was. It hit the bottom. I could lift it up, bump, bump, right. bump, and cover a lot of quick water with it. Only problem is to hang up. You got it in rough cover, but it was still a great search bait. But another bait for fishing deep water was a uh, Carolina rig, and I said, you know, I ought to carry a few of those. So I reached in there and I had. I had three packs of Bill Jackson's floating worms. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know where we were going. So, so I That's, packed for real deep water. Yeah, that was a bait. mystery classic. Ray loaded you guys yeah. up on an airplane and you didn't know where you were going until you got there. Exactly. It was a mystery lake. And, you know, the Delta took off and flew us and the plane would go around the circle and he'd fly west and then we'd fly back east and we'd fly south and everybody'd look and say, Oh, I know we're going going to Texas. We're going we're going to Rayburn. And then the plane would fly, no, oh no, we're going to Texoma. No, 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 we're going to Table Rock. And then no, 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 we're going to Kissimmee. Oh, I know where we're going. Everybody'd be on the side of the plane. The plane would turn up on the side and everybody take your seat, please. You know, and we were we were just we didn't know where we were going. Everybody was just guessing. But anyway. We flew into uh, that area in South Carolina, uh, to Clark Hill, and we landed. 
And I said, what kind of lake is that? And some one local guy said, well, it's a, it's a deep, clear lake. And I went, ooh, deep, clear lake. I like that. And right off the bat, and some of them said, deep, clear lake. Some of them didn't like that. But I did because I felt more comfortable fishing deep water because I knew deep water fish are more dependable. And if you find them, they usually they bunch up and uh, weather doesn't change them up too much. We had a weather change or anything. So anyway, but I went up first day of practice. I went, I ran here and ran there and I looked here and looked here and checked here, checked there and did this, did that. And I came out of a creek and it was just a natural looking spot, but I saw a boat pull in on the shallow end of it and made two or three casts and he went on and uh, I came in behind the boat, but I came in way further out. He fished, it looked like in five, six feet of water. Well, I came in at about 20 feet of water and I looked and I saw fish in about uh, 25, 28 feet of water. And I said, well, look here. So I spun around and there were fish 30, about 32 feet deep. And uh, I didn't know if there were stripers or white bass or largemouth. And uh, I took, a, I had two jigging spoons and it was kind of rough. The, the cover was rock and stuff there because you got a hard read. So I put a jigging spoon on and uh, I dropped it down. I jigged it up down boot. I caught one. It was about a two pound largemouth. And I thought, well, that's largemouth. And so I said, well, maybe that largemouth was mixed in with some white bass. Let me try it again. So I dropped it back down and I caught another largemouth, about two, two and a half pounds. And I said, oh, that's largemouth. So I turned him loose and I left. I, I got off that spot and I ran way down the lake Look, kept looking and I found an island with a long, long point on it that went way out and it dropped down and it came back up again. And I was looking in 30, 35 feet of water and I found another scoop of fish, but it was a long run and the wind got up that next day, as best I recall. And where I had found the fish at the mouth of that creek, off that long point, I said, that's where I need to go. Well, as best I recall, and you've got as good a memory as anybody can, I want to say the limit was 10. Yes, sir. You, was- you had the most consistent tournament, really, of anybody. On day one, Bill, you had a limit that weighed just over 12 pounds. Not a big limit, of course, but, but a, a solid limit puts you in the top eight or ten uh tom man led that day he had a big lead he had a five five and a quarter pound lead he had over 20 pounds that day but he couldn't back it up on days two or three you had another good day on day two with another limit that weighed 17.3 and and uh, day three a third limit as a matter of fact bill here's here's a little bill dance trivia that bill dance may not know you became the first man in Bassmaster classic history to limit every day of the classic well, I, 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 lucky, I guess. I I went, what those fish did, 
Charlie Searcy was the outdoor editor. We had a, a, a writer observer and he was my partner. He was the outdoor editor for the uh, Nashville Tennessean. And then he, he uh, went on down to Chattanooga and became the editor of the Chattanooga Times. Charlie was a great guy. And I pulled back in on those fish the second morning and uh, couldn't catch them. And I moved out just a little. They went to 38 feet. I remember that. They, they moved deeper. And uh, I think they got into some bigger fish because I had a better, I had a better catch, better weight that second day. You had a better and, catch uh, every day of the event. Right. And, but the problem, I only had those nine worms, those nine floating worms. And what would they were beginning to tear up? And uh, I remember Charlie, he said, uh, How many you got left? And, and then the, the third day, I mean, I, I had ragged pieces of those worms, and I was trying my best. The fish would jump when he'd come up to the top. Oh, don't jump, don't jump. Because, you know, he'd throw his head back and forth. And going into the last day, I had three worms left. And they looked like they had they had gone to surgery a dozen times. And Charlie would Charlie would take a cigarette lighter and he'd he'd fuse them back together and he'd put the lighter under them and he'd go, ah, boy, that plastic's hot. And then he'd stick them down in the water and then shape them back up for me. He, he, I don't know if he was supposed to do that or not, but he did. And uh, so. The American Sportsman was a television series back then. Kurt Gowdy, you remember Kurt Gowdy and the American yeah. Sportsman series? They were on the lake shooting video. Well, we all do dumb things. and uh, But anyway, I'll tell you this story. My wife has always said, everything happens for a reason. And Diane always said that. She said that so many times. Everything happens for a reason. And... Uh, so the last day of that tournament, I was catching them, but they had even dropped deeper. They'd moved down to about 42 feet, and uh, but I was still catching them. And I got my limit, and uh, I was working on my limit. And Bruce Buckley, who was a photographer for American Sportsman, they, their camera boat pulled up, and he said, y'all doing any good? And about that time, the biggest fish, the biggest fish that I had hung uh, in the three days that I'd been on that hole uh, bit. And I set the hook and I said, Charlie, this is a good one. And he pulled and pulled and he came up and he jumped. They said the fish weighed eight and a half pounds. It did not. It did not weigh anywhere close to eight and a half pounds. The fish, the fish would have weighed probably five, five and a quarter. He would have, he, he was over five pounds. But I've caught, I, I knew, guessing, I'm looking at him, he's, he's as close as from, uh, he was closest from me to the back of the boat. And he jumped, and I went, oh, don't do that. And he came back around, he came up again, and he jumped, and, uh, so I held him down and I got him right up to the boat. And I remember, I think it was Buckley that said, uh, and they were, they were taping it. 
And uh, he said, let him swim out. Let him swim out. Just uh, let him go out just one more time. And something said, don't do that. Don't do that. And uh, they said, please let, let him come out towards the camera just once. And so I just held the rod and mashed the button on my reel and let him swim out about six feet. And he another surge, the fish had a surge. I thought it had him whipped. Had another surge, he went down and he pulled off. And when he pulled off, I I I just I took a hard deep breath and Charles said Charlie said, there, there, there'll be another one. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't let it get to you. Come on, come on, come on. And I just reeled up, fixed my worm, and just boom, threw right back, just like it was a pounder. And I was going, golly. I said, that's the tournament right there. And I, I said, and I looked, and they said, oh, lost him. And uh, they just pulled off like it wasn't anything to it. And uh, Charlie yeah, to went. give. To give the folks a little perspective here, Bill went into that last day trailing. Rayo Breckenridge is is leading the Derby by a by a pretty healthy amount, and, and Bill needs a big comeback, and he has that opportunity. Rayo Breckenridge stumbles on day three. Bill has a big day. Bill winds well, up. We'll, we'll tell you about the margin of victory here in just a minute, but, but Bill, let me let you go. Anyway, I, I I went ahead and limited out, and never did get another big fish, but I had a good I had a good string. And I went ahead and limited out. And uh, Charlie never mentioned the fish, and I never mentioned the fish. And uh, but I sure thought of the fish. I thought about that the one that got away. And uh, I've thought since that time. I've thought a lot about that fish. But uh, uh, you go by your own intuitions when you feel like something's right and you need to do it. You do it. And uh, I, sh I knew I should not have let that fish go back out. I had the fish and could I know without question I could have landed the fish, but uh, I didn't. And uh, But anyway, when I went in, uh, I had a good weight. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Rayo broke down coming in. And he was out uh, just a short distance uh, from the weigh-in area. And would have been disqualified but Roland was coming in and saw Rayo and I would have done the same thing uh he helped Ro help Rayo come get in and as a result when he brought Rayo in it it allowed Rayo to weigh his fish in and just in the nick of time and as a result uh everybody was congratulating me you won the tournament you won the classic you won the classic and I truthfully thought I had won the classic and uh, you, you build up a, a big high right there. And, uh, and then when Rayo weighed in, uh, he, he beat me out of, he beat me out of first place. And it was that, that real high, that big rush. And it's just like an inflatable uh, inner tube. Just, and it's just, it all goes out of you at one time and it's just it's a hard hard thing to explain uh you fish for something so big you you work all year for the super bowl uh you play all your life to to make the super bowl uh you play all your life to make the masters and you miss the putt just by that much but it's not the golf ball it's not the club 
uh, it's it's you, you know, that you hit it too hard or this way. I think I did everything right up to that one point. I could have caught that fish. There's no question in my mind. If I had not let him run back out, uh, I'm, I made the I, I made the mistake. Uh, the putter that putted the ball at the Masters, he hit the ball too hard or he didn't hit it hard enough. The player that threw the interception, it's not the ball's fault. It's the quarterback that threw the ball. It's his fault. It's the pitcher that pitched the World Series pitch. He he threw a slider, but it didn't slide, and the, the opposing team knocked it over the fence. These you, – you have to experience that feeling – that the quarterback felt when he threw the interception, the pitcher felt when he threw the slider that didn't go, the putter that missed the Masters, the quarterback that missed the Super Bowl, the uh, pitcher that missed the World Series, the winning the World Series. Uh, those are big things in their lives. The Classic was a big thing in my life. So I stood there and trying to smile. To, I tried to keep my chin up high enough to keep the tears from rolling out of my eyes. <laughs> but and Diane was sitting across from me and she comes walking across and she says, she, <clears throat> excuse me, she caught my hand and she said, uh, she said, I know how you feel, but <clears throat> excuse me. She said, uh, you remember me telling you once that everything happens for a reason. And I said, yep, I sure do. And she said, I'm going to tell you something that might make you feel a little bit better. You know, Rayo is a farmer up near Beach Grove, Arkansas, near Par that's near Paragool, Arkansas, in northeast Arkansas. And they uh, have had a couple of really bad years. And she knew Marilyn pretty well, Rayo's wife. Mm -hmm. And right, Marilyn was losing her eyesight. And winning that classic afforded them the money to have uh, with their insurance, and that money helped them uh, to have for her to have eye surgery to save her eyesight. Wow. And Diane says, You didn't know that, did you? And I said, No, I didn't but I'm glad you told me because it makes me feel a thousand times better. And that rush that went out just came right back, you know, and then I, I felt a thousand times better. And then she, Diane grabbed me again and she looked at me and she said, remember, everything happens for a reason. And I said, you're right. It does. Everything happens for a reason. And I, then I walked back over and uh, I, I hugged Marilyn and I said, uh, I'm really proud of Rayo. And she said, I am so happy for him. We we're so, so happy. And she had tears in her eyes. And then I walked over and I gave Rayo a big, a big hug and I slapped him. But then, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. Rayo, Rayo was a, Rayo was a wonderful, wonderful guy and a very good friend. And we fished together, uh, these oxbows around Memphis. Uh, he was he was so much fun to be with and and enjoy to fish with and he was just a wonderful wonderful guy uh, 
But like I say, it uh, it was his time to win, and he won, and uh, everything happens for a reason. But that that was a that was a great event, and uh, um, but like I said uh, uh, in the beginning, the moral of that story is uh, with Glenn. We learned by asking questions, and uh, um, the one that got away that'll always be. Uh, I'll always remember that fish. Uh, I didn't see him get off, but I sure felt him get off. But. And I like Miss Diane's uh, comments about everything happens for a reason. Well, oh, she, oh, yes, yeah, she's uh, she's dead on. She was right about that. It was, it was just uh, one of those deals. It, uh, well, dance. Uh, uh, I tell you, the, uh, not only are you just a, a spectacular storyteller, and 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 I, and I want to tell folks again, uh, we're going to put oh, out the address, uh, BillDanceStore.com. You got to get this book, Fish Tales. It is a whole bunch of wonderful stories from the man himself. Bill, you're you're a hero of mine. You're a great man. And I you are too, you, Ken. You've been a great friend for a long time, and I love you. It's been my death. honor. It's been, it's been my honor, sir. Absolutely my honor. And uh, thank you for sharing that story of one that got away. You thank you me. not only made it a great story, but you made it so poignant. And um, cannot thank you enough for your time for all you've done for our, our sport, Thank for all you. you've done for our industry. Uh, you're, as I said, you're, you're a great man. I'm so proud to call you friend. Well, thank you, buddy. I feel the same about you too. You're a great guy, bud. Thank you so much for letting me be part of your show. And I hope to see you again real soon. And I know I will. Absolutely. You will. I, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for Bill Dance. I got to get my hug. That's right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Bill. Bye now. See y'all. You know, I've heard Bill tell that story many times through the years. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, an angler in the biggest tournament of the year, the Bassmaster Classic, uh, letting a fish run a little while so a cameraman could get some pictures. Uh, but that's the kind of guy Bill Dance is. And unfortunately, his generosity... Uh, with his time, and and it'll cost him. Cost him a big tournament, but as Bill would tell you, things happen for a reason. And and the reason in that case was uh, it helped Marilyn Breckenridge save her eyesight. So uh, a, a big loss to Bill, a, an important fish that got away, but a greater good may have been served right there. Hey, I want to thank you for hanging out with me for this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. Before I sign off, I've got a favor to ask. Please subscribe, like, share, give us a comment, or post a review. I don't understand the algorithms that drive the reach of our show, but I do know that those kind of things help. And don't forget to check out our website, thebigbasspodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes right there, and you can search them for different topics or aspects of Big Bass that, that may interest you personally. If you want to contact us, our email addresses are ken at thebigbasspodcast.com, terry at thebigbasspodcast.com, and nathan at thebigbasspodcast.com. Once again, I'm Ken Duke, and on behalf of my partners, Nathan Benson and Terry Battisti, thanks for joining us. Be sure to check back next week. We'll have a new show with a story that you will not and cannot find anywhere else. And remember, 
size matters.